This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. It was just before Halloween, and a student went to school dressed as Darth Vader from Star Wars. Everyone thought it was a Halloween prank, but was it? This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Darth Vader. The student was dressed in a Darth Vader costume. Why? Just a note before starting, Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. What would you say if I asked you which countries in the world do you think have the lowest crime rates? My answer would be the Scandinavian countries. So today's story comes from Sweden, the country best known for IKEA, the Volvo car, and of course, the iconic pop group ABBA. My childhood just wouldn't have been the same without ABBA. Despite obviously being a true crime listener, I don't really recall any specific cases from Sweden, although there is crime everywhere and I'm sure Sweden is no different. There is a podcast dedicated wholly to crime in Sweden, aptly named True Crime Sweden, so there clearly must be enough content. So for this story, we go to a small city in Sweden called Trollhättan, which is about 70 kilometers north of Gothenburg, the second largest city in Sweden. Trollhättan is situated along the Gotha River, and its name comes from the local folk tales which told of large trolls living in the river, hence the name Trollhättan. So it was back in 2015 when a man received a message on social media from a friend, which read as follows. Hey man, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll get right down to it. I'm going to be dead in the next hour or two, max. I remember all the fun we had playing Star Wars Online together, and I want you to know you're the best friend I've ever had. You're awesome. I'm going to miss you so much, even though I know I could have been more active, but you know me. fucking hate myself. If there's an afterlife, I hope to see you there. Those fucking cops better aim straight. I really don't want to survive the rampage. Anyway, I love you. I cannot even begin to imagine how the man reacted after receiving such a message. Did he think it was some type of a joke? But it would only be a matter of an hour later that the man was to find out that his friend's words were certainly not a joke. It was just days before Halloween, and students were in their classes at the Kronan School, whose ages ranged from preschool right through to high school. A girl named Lena was in one of her classes, but had to leave the room to get something from her locker outside, and two of her friends went with her. It was out in the corridor that they saw a male person dressed in all black. Their immediate thought was that he was a student dressed like Darth Vader from Star Wars. He wore a long black trench coat, black boots, had a black mask over his face, and a black helmet 
which resembled the helmets worn by the Nazis in World War II. He was also carrying a sword and had a Japanese dagger tucked into his belt. They also heard very loud, heavy metal music playing from a mobile phone attached to his belt. Halloween was just days away, and there was going to be a Halloween party at the school later that day, so they thought he was just a student or maybe even a teacher playing a Halloween joke. Lena asked him some questions, but he didn't answer, so she then asked if she could take a picture with him. He didn't answer, but motioned with his hand to come and stand next to him. So Lena stood on one side, and her friend stood next to him on the other side, and their other friend took a photo of the three of them. The man was holding the sword in one hand, facing directly upwards, and his other hand was on Lena's arm, as if they were friends in an embrace. Other students walking through the corridor came upon the curious scene, and soon a group gathered around them. It was then that a teacher came out of the classroom, whose name was Nazir Amzo, and he saw what was happening. Unlike the girls and the other students, he didn't think this was a harmless joke. Something told him immediately that the situation was just not right. Nazir asked the man to take off his mask, but when he didn't, Nazir went to grab the mask himself, and that's when a seemingly harmless Halloween prank turned into something else quite sinister. The man then attacked the teacher with the sword he was carrying, and it was soon clear that it wasn't just a prop. Nazir fell to the floor, bleeding. The full reality of the situation struck the students, and they fled in panic. But unbeknownst to everyone who had witnessed this attack, they had no idea that there had been a series of other attacks that had occurred in the minutes prior. Only minutes earlier, in the school cafeteria, a teaching assistant named Lavin Eskandar had been sitting and talking with one of his 14-year-old students named David, and that's when the same man in the Darth Vader costume walked towards them, and without saying a word, he struck Lavin with the sword. David yelled at him, what the hell are you doing? And then he too was struck with the sword. But luckily, he had been struck with the blunt edge and managed to flee. But Levine was not so fortunate. He lay motionless on the floor. A lady working in the cafe saw what had happened and immediately hit the school's emergency alarm. The horrific scene had also been witnessed by an assistant principal who was able to make the first call to Sweden's emergency number 112. This call had been made only two minutes after the man had entered the building. After making the call, the assistant principal then saw the principal walking nearby and ran over to him frantically, informing him about what had happened. Upon entering the cafe, he was confronted with the gruesome scene. Seeing the man with a sword, and a person bleeding badly on the floor. He then proceeded to run through the corridor and alerted the teachers to lock themselves and their students in their classrooms. Meanwhile, the man then set his sights on two cleaning ladies and ran towards them, but they were able to lock themselves inside a classroom. He then continued down the corridor 
where he came upon the preschool and primary school classrooms. A teacher was sitting outside a classroom with a young student, and when he noticed him, he asked why he was dressed that way. The man did not reply and continued walking down the hallway, but then came to a locked door. He then turned around and went back the same way he had come. It was then that three students came out into the corridor and saw the man and started running. The cleaning ladies saw what was happening and were able to get the students inside the classroom with them. The man tried to pry open the door but couldn't. He continued walking through the school, coming across other locked doors and then retraced his steps. He passed another cleaning lady but completely ignored her. But the next person he saw wasn't as fortunate. A 15-year-old boy named Ahmed Hassan was the next to be attacked. So this man's rampage had already seen two people fall victim to his sword. He then continued onto the high school section where he came across the girls who asked to be photographed with him. And as already seen, the teacher Nazir became the third victim. The man then continued walking from classroom to classroom, knocking on classroom doors, and one door was opened by a 15-year-old boy named Wahed Koza, and he then became the fourth person to be attacked. But somehow, Wahed managed to close and lock the door, preventing the man from entering the classroom. After this attack, the man didn't know it yet, but the police were now in the building, and they came across the perpetrator very quickly, saying to him, police drop the sword, but he raised the sword and walked towards them in a threatening manner. Both officers fired one shot at the same time, one missed, but the other one hit him in the abdomen. He dropped to the ground and was handcuffed. They pulled his mask off and asked his name, and he answered with his full name. He wasn't a student, but it would be determined later that he was a 21-year-old man who hadn't previously had any affiliation with the school. So the ordeal was finally over. From the time he was seen on camera entering the building to the time he was apprehended had only been a matter of 10 terrifying minutes. All of those injured were transported to hospital. The girls who had taken the photo with him were unhurt, but their teacher, Nazir, who had intervened, died in the hospital six weeks later. The teaching assistant, Lavine Eskandar, who was the first to be confronted, died in the cafe. But David, his student, had been uninjured. 15-year-old Wahed also died, but the student, Ahmed, who had opened the door to his classroom, fully recovered. The man's actions had resulted in the deaths of three innocent people. And as for the perpetrator himself, he died later that same day in the hospital. As I already said, my thought was that Sweden was a safe place, and the data I found seems to back this up. Although I read that crime has increased in recent decades, when it comes to school crime, the following figures show that over a 55-year period between 1960 and 2015, when this event occurred, there had only been five other attacks on schools, either as shootings or stabbings. In each incident, one person had died, making a total of five deaths 
over that period. So, Trollhättan had been the worst school incident in Swedish history with three deaths. So, I'm now going to go into who this man was and the motive for his heinous crime. There has been much written about him, but I would rather spend a greater portion of this episode on the victims and the survivors. So here is just a brief account about the man. He was a 21-year-old Swedish citizen. He hadn't attended the school himself, but lived nearby. As a boy, he did well at school, but kept to himself. He was known to be a loner, who had no real friends, except for his brother, and spent most of his time on his computer. After looking into the man's history, it was found that he had never been convicted of any crimes or even known to police. There was also no history of treatment for mental illness, although there had been signs of depression and suicide in the months before the attack. He had completed a depression test online and had also sought out suicide videos and the content on his computer was about violence, death, self-hate, content about hopelessness, Islamophobia and racism. He was known to say racist jokes like the following, Do you know how to save a Negro from drowning? And when the person replied no, he replied, good. On the day of the attack, he painted his face totally white, except for black liner around his eyes. He then sent the suicide message to the friend and then headed off to the school in his father's car. After parking, he entered through a side entrance, which was at about 10.06am. The school cameras captured his movements over the next 10 minutes until he was ultimately shot by police. I have seen the video of him walking through the school and it's so eerie because it looks like no one is there. Obviously, students were in their classes, but I was just amazed how abandoned the school looked. If he had come in during a lunch break, or even when students were moving between classes, the death toll would have been horrific. Although he had finished high school, he wasn't able to find employment despite applying for almost 100 jobs over a few years. His brother had managed to get the first job he had applied for. He blamed his inability to find employment on immigrants coming into Sweden. He was critical of immigration, believing the country did not care for its own citizens and aligned himself with senior Swedish people who had built their country. In that same year that he had perpetrated the crime, 2015, Sweden had welcomed about 160,000 asylum seekers, the largest since World War II. The month of October, when the attack had occurred, had seen the number of refugees reach a new record, but the Swedish people were polarised on the issue. There had been attacks on detention centres and mosques. But as one government official stated, you can't blame asylum policy because we have a madman who murders children. The perpetrator had voted for the Swedish Democrats party, who were well known for their opposition to immigration. As one parliamentarian said, Immigration means the road to ruin. It means a short-term end for Sweden as a Swedish nation. The police found 
that he hadn't been a member of any political organisation but had joined a Facebook group which was opposed to immigration. He also supported a petition by the Democrats to initiate a referendum on immigration. The police found a note at his home where he wrote that something had to be done about immigration in Sweden and it seems that he felt he had the answer. So he specifically targeted a school which had 90% of its students from foreign countries. The note said, The blood is on your hands. And as you heard in the account of his rampage, some people were attacked while others were completely ignored. Although he had encountered many people, he only attacked those who were foreign in appearance. Just imagine that. The way you looked determined whether you lived or died. While we can all imagine the shocked reaction of the Swedish people to what this man had done, there were, of course, those who also praised him. One Facebook post said, Blank just defended his country. May the sword of Lord Blank save Sweden. Trollhättans, patron saint, gave his life to make the world a little safer for the rest of us. I pay tribute to the man in question. He did more good today than many here will do for a lifetime. Time to load rifles and sharpen knives. A lot of rope will also be needed. A great day for Sweden. Death to the blackheads. Despite being unsuccessful in finding a job, he had managed to get a temporary job before the attack and was hoping that it would become permanent. But he was then told two weeks before the attack that the job would soon end, and this is believed to have been what precipitated the school attack, which was ultimately carried out on the day before his job would have ended. So we can now see that the contents of that message to his friend had been dead serious, and he got his ultimate wish of the police ending his life. And the police had found further evidence that he wanted to die. He had bought firing range targets that he had planned to attach to his chest in order to help the officers take better aim at him. And he got this idea from the Norwegian terrorist, who I won't name, who had killed 77 people in an attack some years earlier. He had worn the same firing range targets as that man had. However, this killer didn't have time to attach the signs as they were found on the floor in the cafe. An investigation into the actions of the police concluded that shooting the offender had been justified. There has been much written about this man and I could go into his psychopathology in more detail, but I think you get the general idea of who he was, so that's enough said about him. Let's now look at the survivors. So first, Wahed, the boy in the classroom who heard the knock at the door. He thought it was a Halloween joke. He recalled not really feeling much pain, but then the blood started flowing from him and his mind quickly realised what was happening. He tried to close the door but received further hits from the sword. The teacher and the students thought it was some type of a prank as well, but then they saw the blood on his clothes and soon everyone was in a panic. Luckily for Wahed and everyone else, he had been able to lock the door. I thought I was going to die. 
I was set on it. At the hospital, I kept dreaming that he would come back and beat my family. I was scared because I could not do anything. Wahed somehow recovered and returned to school a few weeks later. Wahed and his family had fled war-torn Syria, and he had been at the school for about a year. He remembers that his family thought Sweden was a country of only native Swedish-born people, but Wahed soon found teachers and students who also spoke Arabic. He and his family also thought that Sweden was free from racism, he said. When I came to Sweden, I thought there was no racism in here. But after blank, I know it's like in my country, there are good and bad people. Wahed managed to finish high school and then went on to study for a university degree to apply for the police academy. He had always wanted to become a police officer. It was my dream when I was little. And after the school attack, I decided, I want to get in. I want to be able to save people. Wahed says he often thinks about the three people who weren't as lucky as him. He still has haunting images of their bodies in the cafeteria where he had been taken on a stretcher. I will never forget it, not because I hurt my body, but because I lost three friends, three kind people. Now, if you look for photos of this attack, the photo taken of Lena and her friend posing with the man can be found very easily. He is in the middle and the girls are on either side of him with their faces obscured. Their photos were never released, which is a great thing. But when you look closer, it's just so creepy seeing his hand on Lena's arm. It just looked like an innocent photo. But look closer and you can see that his hand holding the sword has blood on it. These poor girls had no idea of what had happened just minutes before. Of course, this photo was circulated around the world very quickly. It was only seven years ago, so I can imagine that it was all over social media. And here is what Lena said about the photo and about what had happened. For some time, I wished the photo hadn't been taken. I've gotten used to it now and it could have been worse. Our faces are not visible, so I'm used to it, but it's still disgusting. She also felt a degree of guilt that she survived while the others hadn't. It's like a bad conscience. I think I could have done it in some other way. Then maybe it would have been better. There are such disgusting feelings of remorse. Understandably, Lena didn't want to go back to school, but it was seeing her fellow student Wahed return to school which made her change her mind. He had been seriously injured and she had only been in the photo, so she felt if he had courage to return, then she would too. I have learned a lesson. Before I could go to whoever I saw and talk to them, but now I have learned to only go to those that I know. It is difficult to trust anyone nowadays. And now to those who didn't survive. Firstly, Ahmed Hassan, who came from a family of nine children. They had fled seven years earlier from their home country, Somalia, and found refuge in Uganda. Their mother was able to emigrate to Sweden, but the rest of the family stayed in Uganda. The children went to school and learnt fluent English, and then after four years, they received the wonderful news that they were allowed to go to Sweden as quota refugees and the family were then reunited with their mother. It would then be three years later that Ahmed would lose his life. 
His mother described her son as a kind and caring boy. He was the person who helped at home and he always supported his siblings. He loved playing football but also wanted to continue his studies. He was interested in buildings, so he wanted to become a civil engineer. That's why he thought of studying science in high school. We fled to Sweden to give our children security, and this is happening to us. Someone who does not like us has killed my son, but we cannot judge the whole Swedish people. And next, there is Nazir Amzo, the teacher who had confronted the man. Nazir had been from Lebanon, living in the capital Beirut, and during the civil war of the 1990s, his family had been able to flee to Sweden. After experiencing life in Sweden, he would often get upset when people complained about the living conditions in his new home, and he would say, Don't say that. Here we live comfortably, safely and securely. When Nazir had been younger, he had shown a natural tendency to help other children with their schoolwork. So it didn't come as a surprise that he went on to be the first person in his family to go to university and became a maths teacher. And here is what one person said about Nazir. He really tried everything for his students just so they would succeed. Nazir was always happy and caring. He always put others first and then himself. He thought of the students, the parents and his colleagues. He was always positive. And he was asked what made him a good teacher. His personality, his whole being. He let his teaching role be marked by his personality. Then the good qualities emerged in that role. If a student did not understand, he took the time to explain in a different way. After being in hospital for a few weeks, Nasir finally woke up. His wife said, You could tell that he had changed. He had realised that it was a near-death experience that he had been given a second chance. And as a testament to this man, he also expressed his condolences for the perpetrator's family. He also regretted the grief that his family had gone through. Nazir seemed to be getting better, and so his family made preparations for him to come home for Christmas. But after six weeks, he died from a heart attack. Nazir's family were understandably devastated after losing him, but none more so than his eight-year-old son, Christopher. He couldn't bear to be alone anymore, always wanting his mother to be with him and not letting go of her hand while he slept. And Nazir also had a nephew named Marcus, who was crushed after losing his uncle. Nazir had been his stand-in dad, and after he died, Marcus lost all desires and motivation. Nazir had always told him how important education was, and Marcus made a promise that he would continue to focus on his schooling, but it took all of his strength just to go to school each day. His anxiety became really bad. He could feel it in his shoulders, his chin and throat, which gave him spasms and cramps. The doctor said this happened because he couldn't cry. Crying was a way for the body to let things out and then find peace. But no matter how sad Marcus was, the tears wouldn't come. Because of this, his body found other ways to let it out, and he cramped until he was exhausted. He said, It comes when I get sad or disappointed and get to see how the family feels. 
I do not find it easy to let go of tears and then it drags on instead. And finally, the very first victim in this tragedy, Lavin Eskandar. His parents were originally from Iraq, although he and his brother were born in Sweden. Lavin had only graduated from another local high school earlier in the year of the attack and then began working at the Kronan School as a teaching assistant and had only been there for a few months before the tragedy occurred. His brother Laith had this to say about him. All I know was that he cared about others and not himself. He is the king and hero of the whole city. When looking for information about Levine, I came across a beautiful story about the day of his funeral. The family had released four white doves during the ceremony. His brother said, We had to borrow them from a friend who lives nearby. He said they would fly straight home again. But then the strangest thing happened. One of the doves did not fly away. It stayed at Levine's gravesite. It's really incredible, really. When we got there the other day, the flying one arrived at exactly the same time. It feels good, as if Levine is nearby with us. Mum talks to the pigeon as if it were Levine. Then a few days after his funeral, the father of the boy, Wahed, who had also died, came to the same cemetery and was looking for a plot for his son, and he chose a plot right next to Levine. And I also found an interview with a woman who worked at the cemetery taking care of the burial plots. She had been there for the funerals of Levine and Wahed and said that it would probably be likely that the perpetrator would be buried there as well. When asked how she felt about having to arrange his plot, she said, I'm a little worried that someone would come here and do something ugly with it. I would make his last moment as nice as I could. We all who work here would. When I talked to Levine's parents, they had a clear message of love and they explicitly said that the ceremony in the cemetery would be about love, not hatred. This also applies to blank. All parents who are forced to bury a child deserve that the child gets a nice funeral, no matter what he's done. And it was then at this point of working on this episode, while looking for information about Levine, that I made a most interesting find. I was looking for videos on YouTube about him, and a video popped up with his brother Laith, and I found a lovely story. Both of the brothers had a passion for music and also making films, and it turns out that they had produced commercials and music videos for various Swedish artists. Isn't that amazing? So to help with his grief and as a tribute to his brother, Laith wrote a song about Levine and then decided that he would audition for Swedish Idol. So the video I found was the audition. The information was all in Swedish, so I was trying to make out what was happening because there were no subtitles. But the clip started with a whole group of people lining up for the auditions and two men are being interviewed and they are very jovial and happy. One of these men was Levine's brother Leif. So he is being interviewed and then you see him walk into the audition room. And if you've watched American Idol or the other idols in other countries, they first talk to the person and they say a little bit about themselves. So I'm presuming that he's talking about his brother Levine 
and perhaps that the song he was about to sing was dedicated to him. You could see the three judges get upset, and while he is singing, one of the male judges has a tear rolling down his face. They were clearly moved by his song. But I could tell that he didn't make it through the audition, but that wasn't the point. I believe it was to honour his brother. And that's when I contacted one of my listeners from Sweden, Sasha, and I asked her about the video, and she confirmed what I thought. And I also found an article with Laith talking about his appearance on Idol. He said, I was going to do a love song, but felt that it was not what I had in my heart. I chose to turn it into a love song for my brother about our old times, when we were little and mischievous. Laith also spoke about the album of songs that he was putting together that he hoped to release on the first anniversary of the attack. It was my brother's big dream to get a record contract. He wrote a lot of music for me. He himself was not a singer, but wrote most and sent suggestions to me. We have used those suggestions and taken his voice and demos he recorded and continued to work with. So after losing his brother, Laith continued to work on the songs that Levine had been producing and completed an album with six songs, which he called Angel. The brothers got their musical interests from their father, who was also a musician. The songs on the album were performed by Laith and two other friends. You get sad because he is not alive, and I can hear his creativity. It's hard to listen to. But at the same time, I'm proud of what he has achieved. It has been tough, but the focus is to make something positive out of it. The most important thing for him was that people would be happy to spread joy. My brother was an entertainer. So that is the story of the attack of the school in Sweden. And you know, this story really resonated with me because I too was an immigrant My family moved to Australia from Croatia when I was four years old, so I have no memory of my life there, but Australia now is my home. But I wonder how different my life would have been if I had stayed in the place of my birth. My parents wanted a better life for themselves and their children, and I really cannot fathom what a sacrifice it had been to leave and never see family again, although since then we have visited a few times, but it's just not the same. So I really feel for those killed and their families. I could have gone into much more detail about immigration and the politics involved, but that's a discussion for others to have. I have simply provided the facts, and at the end of the day, regardless of what motivated that man, there were innocent people who paid the price for someone else's politics. You may agree with the man's stand on immigration, But most of us would agree that murdering immigrants is not the solution. At the end of the day, he was just a very sad man with mental health issues. If it wasn't for immigration, he could have found a number of other issues to be at odds with. So rather than being an episode about politics and a psychological analysis of the perpetrator, 
I really wanted to shine a spotlight on the victims. So you can see that this whole attack could have been just so much worse. The fact that three people died in a whole school, the police response was just so quick, which I think really, really helped to keep down the number of those who lost their lives. And before I finish this episode, I need to give a huge thank you to one very special person. Sasha is a lady who lives in Sweden and she's a listener of the podcast and she contacted me about this story. So it's thanks to Sasha that you heard this story today. She helped me so much putting this episode together. What she was able to translate for me shows that she has such a high level of written English. So this must be a testimony to the Swedish education system. So thank you very much, Sasha. And also at the start of the episode, you heard another male voice who was T.Z. Borden, and he's the host of the podcast Tapes from the Dark Side. His show is insanely good, people. You just have to listen to his show. It is so well-researched, and my show pales in comparison with his. I've also been told about my soothing voice, and I would say that his voice is the male equivalent. So if you really enjoy my show, I really, really believe that you would enjoy his show as well. So I strongly recommend that you give it a listen. And to finish this episode, I'd like for you to hear a song performed by a well-known Swedish singer named Loreen. She represented Sweden at Eurovision in 2012, and she won. The song you will now hear is a tribute to Levine. She performed the song at a benefit concert for Levine, and his family were in the audience.
so to all of those who lost their lives, Levine, Wahed and Nazir, I am so sorry that the colour of your skin means that your family no longer has you in their lives. Rest in peace. <laughs> 